Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. As a former athlete, I've always been appreciative of my body. I have long intuited that the body could be a portal into something vast and mysterious, which ran counter to the old lower masculine Cartesian way of looking at the body, which is that it's simply a machine, a separate object set aside from one's mental, emotional, and spiritual lives. The body in this way of looking at things is not sacred, it's just a thing. While it is true that the body is a temporary vessel for our soul and spirit, to diminish the body or disregard it leaves us dry and in our heads. How many men are smart but lack the juicy presence of being embodied? How might men continue our evolution with a proper reverence for earth, bodies, the sensuous, and the feminine? I think we will need to build it like a muscle, something that has atrophied but not left us. Presence and embodiment seem to be waiting for our collective discovery. Men are starting to find out what we have left behind. I have said this before on a number of episodes. We aren't going to be able to think our way along the faint trail of the hero's journey. If we could think our way through this, we would have done it already, for aren't we really good at thinking about it all? No, we will need to navigate it with our hearts and our felt sense. It is here that the body suddenly arrives as an obvious ally in our quest. There are ways of discovering this aspect of yourself. Somatic movement is a growing field that carries much wisdom and gifts for our tribe. As my guest today so elegantly expresses, the body's wisdom can be the path that takes you all the way to the top of the mountain. My guest today is Beth Pettengill Riley. She is a global leader in somatic movement education and therapy with over 40 years of experience facilitating workshops in continuum, yoga, and meditation. She is the author of the book, A Moving Inquiry, The Art of Personal Practice, and she maintains a private practice in the Santa Cruz area, teaching classes and workshops and assisting individuals in finding greater freedom of movement. Here is my interview with Beth Pettengill Riley. Okay, I'm here with Beth Pettengill Riley, my friend and somatic educator, author Beth Riley, wisdom keeper. Beth, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It is great to have you on the show. Oh, so great to be here, Tony. Thank you. Yeah, I've been, you know, I got your book, Moving Inquiry, The Art of Personal Practice, which you co-authored with Priscilla Stanton Auchincloss. I think I got her name right, right? Auchincloss. Auchincloss, yeah. And so I guess I wanted to just start off with how did you come about to write the book? And I'm also, as a writer, I'm kind of curious how you structured a co-authoring thing because I'm kind of attempting the same thing right now with a friend of mine. And I was just curious to compare, like, how did you set up, you know, a co-authoring structure and just how did the book come about? Well, we have, we had an initial online offering in 2017, Mm. long before the big uh, pandemic boom of online offerings happened. And we wanted to create a course with the support of Watermark Arts, which is a, a collection of continuum somatic practitioners who use art as their entry point into the world of somatic movement and vice versa. So we designed a course together, Priscilla and I. We went through a whole seven weeks. Actually, it was six weeks because the book is designed to be uh, read in six weeks. And then we transcribed that. We had the recording 
the audio recording transcribed. And we took about a year going through the transcriptions and we met every week for a year. And we, we basically never missed, a, we didn't even have homework. We just co-wrote together the whole time. Priscilla has a PhD in uh, physics from the University of Rochester where she taught. And so her attention to detail is fantastic. And the two of us would um, talk and then write it down. We self-published through Epigraph Books in Rhinebeck, Rhinebeck, New York, and they helped us design what I feel is a, a really beautiful offering. It's, it came out beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's a really nice book and, and also really valuable. I think people will be able to, you know, not everyone's going to have a somatic movement teacher maybe in their neighborhood or in their town, and this could be a way for them to really have something that's a companion for them as they, as they start a practice. So it's, it's just really great. Um, you know, you've been, you've been a somatic movement educator and practitioner for how many years? Uh, 40, 40 40. years. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so I guess I just want to ask you, like, there's a lot of probably misconceptions. The word somatic gets thrown out a lot, but it doesn't always mean the same thing depending on which, uh, community it's being spoken in. Um, and I guess I just wanted to start off with, you do a type of modality called continuum, but you identify broadly as a somatic movement educator and, and therapist, practitioner. What is somatic movement? I know it's an experiential practice, which makes it a kind of a challenge to capture what it is in words, but what, what for our listeners, most, if not all, will have not had an awareness of what somatic movement is. We've had David Carrico on uh-huh. talk a bit about it, yeah, way back right. in the first season. But yeah, what does it help people with, too? Yeah, beautiful. I feel that somatic movement is, as you say, a a much misunderstood concept, although getting more understood as we need to care for ourselves in this world of isolation that we've been living in. Mm -hmm. And somatic to me means to experience the lived body from within. So it's actually how do I, how do I experience my felt sense of living in my body and how do I interpret the sensations and symptoms of my life that come through my body and in that way partner with my body as an intimate tango artist in in a life that's sometimes pretty confusing and not knowing how to navigate into the unknown. My body, from the somatic perspective, can give me signals, signs, directions, invitations, so that it, it, it becomes an equal partner. Its voice becomes an equal partner in how I live my life. And it's really um, self-empowering is the main thing that I found when, when people discover that what their body senses is actually important to pay attention to, and that they might have some insights into how they live their life if they knew how to receive the input from their body from inside. And it's we go to an outside authority in our culture so often for what, you know, help. I'm having back pain. What do I do? And sometimes we go to a physical therapist. Sometimes we go to a, a you know, a surgeon and have back surgery. But there are so many other things in between that we can start to become curious about in, in the life of our body that's just saying you need to rest more. Yeah. You need to lie down. You need to take a deep breath. Simple, yeah. 
but often mis, misunderstood and mis, you know, actually the signals are mis, misread. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, and I see so much of the medicine, so to speak, of somatic movement is just perfect for men because we just, we don't slow down that we have a hard time slowing down men do we and we have a hard time sometimes going within and we often want to quickly look for a fix even if that fix is external so like you just said my back is hurting who can fix it we don't often think wait a minute maybe my stress levels are off the charts right now or maybe maybe i'm working too hard or maybe i'm not taking good care of myself and this is my subconscious way of sort of letting letting my, my soul know that, um, you know, we're sending you these warning signals. Are you going to listen to them? Or are you going to try to just hammer, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and, yep. so, and I, I, you know, I was blessed to work in New York at a studio cause I was in alternative health at the time where there was a lot of somatic movement and it was unusual to see men in there. You know, it was, it was almost always with a lot of women. And I was always as somebody that was doing men's work, I was always like, God, this is, this is so valuable for men. Yeah. Um, are you are you able to draw men into your practice? Do you do you see that increasing? Are men starting to get hip to it? Or are we still trying to solve it from the old reductionistic you know, doctor going to fix my X Y Z? I I do see it changing, Tony. I mm-hmm. I think that there's you know the paradigm of some of some of the work that's been done in the the Positive Coaching Alliance where men have access to sports and coaches are recognizing there there's a lot of misuse of bodies that happened for men for men and boys especially but girls also in the sports arena and that's often the only access that we have to movement as kids and to begin to open the lens I see people come in, I have an apprenticeship starting next week, and I have my first man who's interested in apprenticing, which is very exciting. Oh, we do have male continuum teachers, um, but as you say, it's rare. I think access and valuing the sensation world is something that takes practice and encouragement. Women have an easier time accessing sensory input Um, physiologically. So it takes a little bit more uh, romancing the man towards their own body, if you will, Yeah, yeah. to begin to value and participate with the organism itself. And Mm -hmm. I use the word organism consciously because the word body sometimes is part of the problem where we see the body as a machine instead of Um, an organism that's filled with 14 billion years of life on earth and still continues to evolve even to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I always thought of once I got a kind of a grasp on what somatic movement was, as I started my own practice at, at the studio in New York, um, I always thought it was closer to like the contemplative practices of the East. Cause there was like this deep kind of spiritual um, inner knowing and just like going inward into the mystery. Um, it, it always carried all this kind of power that I don't think was captured in any of the brochures I saw about it. You know, it seemed like it didn't do it justice. I remember, uh, the first time I saw a continuum done, um, was going to one of Mary Abrams, who's Mm -hmm. a good friend, a good friend of ours. I went to her class, I don't even remember who turned me on to it, but they said, you got to go check this out. Mm. And I went and 
oh my God, I was just floored by the power and the vibrancy of the work, um, how she embodied the work. Um, You say in your book, you, you say, quote, at the heart of continuum is the quest to restore and amplify one's life force. I, I think that was that, unquote, was that um, your quote, I don't remember if that was you yes, or Mary. That yeah, was, yeah, that was my quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, but and amplifying and restoring one's life force, I would think there would be a lot of hands going in the air for that. You know, for that assignment. You know, like <laughs> we're going to amplify and uh, restore your life force. I mean, yeah. who wants to sit that one out? Like right. that just sounds like you're just going to be a powerhouse, which you will be. So I guess my, my question is, uh, what makes Continuum unique um, mm-hmm. in the whole pantheon of somatic movement? Because, you, you know, somatic movement, I'll, I'll go over it uh, at the end when I'm wrapping it up, but you've got like Feldenkrais and Alexander techniques, maybe some that are a little bit better known body mind centering, but continuum is, is quite unique, I think in the field and what, what in your, in your uh, viewpoint makes it unique? Yeah. So it, it relies on biological movement, the actual fluid movement within the organism itself that brings nutrition to each part of the body, um, to the minute microscopic movements all the way to the big muscular contractions. And it's the fluidity and the accessing of the fluidity that starts to build a reservoir of health. The more fluid the organism is, the more likely it is to be able to respond to change, to adjust to circumstances with more ease. And, you know, really, Emily Conrad, who started Continuum in, you know, the, the, the late 50s, early 60s, ultimately, with a kind of naming in 1967, said it's about being whole and, and participating with our wholeness and, and having that wholeness be unbound in time and space. So what you mentioned, when you mentioned the meditative practices, the, the whole notion of where we exist in time and space starts to get softer when the fluidity in the body is enhanced. And so it's a natural um, byproduct of, of drawing the fluidity out that you start to find a sense of spaciousness and ease that feels very much like a deep meditation. Well, and that's what seems to be a common uh, trait, I think, of practitioners and teachers that have been at it for many, many years. Is there is a fluidity mm-hmm. to their being, a, a, a will, you know, a groundedness, but also a, a flow that is really attractive to see in human beings. You know, where there's this adaptability. Um, and you, you said you included a Mark Napo quote mm-hmm. in your book. You say, "quote A meaningful practice brings positive change." Habitual tendencies preserve the status quo, unquote. And I think this is one of the most important kind of undertoes of this practice, I think, is that when, you, when you're learning to be more fluid, you're breaking up sort of lifelong movement tendencies. So we tend to get, if you look, you, you, we tend, people tend to get without exploring movement, they tend to get more limited. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I look at people that haven't done a lot of somatic movement, or, or even taking very good care of themselves often when they get to be my age, you know, mid fifties or beyond, you can see the lack of, um, optional, you know, there's just, there's not a lot of fluidity and it's been sort of encased in how they carry themselves. But 
when you see practitioners, you see, whoa, this woman is, you know, 60, 70. I remember seeing a practitioner that was 80. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That is not the way an 80 year old woman moves around. There's just no way. And so I think it's almost like claiming our natural ability to explore and be curious and be, since we are so much fluid Mm -hmm. uh, inside, it's re it's sort of claiming what we are, uh, and sort of, I don't want to say it's pushing against aging, but it, it helps in my opinion to not harden around particular habits. You only have, you know, four ways of doing anything and that's just how you always do it. Um, and it's really about the mental habit almost of perceiving myself Mm as a a mechanical thing. And if I see myself as a process, a creative process that's engaged in life itself on a very physiological level, and I let go of the habits of thought around Mm. what I think my body is or should do as in aging, and the the options are, uh, you know, unlimited. We, We can open the mind to inquiry to consider what is it we're calling a body? What what is it? And and if I engage in it as a creative process, the outcome is quite different than if I engage with it as a machine that gets rusty and wears out. Yeah. I might not have um, as much hope <laughs> in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember doing some classes with Mary and, uh, you know, after I'd been at it a while, there was some times when I'm like, you know, your eyes are closed. I think that's one thing that men... They, they hear movement and they think it's going to be some sort of dance class where they're going to be put out front and center and, and be made, you know, to be self-conscious about their bodies and stuff. But it's the furthest thing from that. It's, it's, you know, you're doing your own work and nobody is really looking at you because everybody's involved in their own process. But I remember being on the floor and, and I'd been in the class for like two hours and I could not tell you where anything was. I just felt, you know what I mean? Like there was no yeah. recollection of, arm, leg. It just seemed like I'd entered a new territory where everything was completely brand new in terms of sensation Mm. and my relationship to gravity and just being exhilarated by how unfamiliar everything felt. Yeah. And the body (laughs) itself doesn't know that it has systems. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we call that the respiratory system and the musculoskeletal system and the reproductive system. But if you're looking at the body as a whole, it's one unified fluid expression. Yeah. And really taking that as the the ground that, you know, but going back to what you said about um, the habitual tendencies and mm-hmm. how we perceive ourselves being the, the most difficult thing to address. So what Continuum does that's unique is also uses the element of sound and the movement of sound mm-hmm. to start to break the thought patterns and the actual tissue itself getting laid down along habitual lines, Mm -hmm. the sound like ultrasound breaks up some of that um, holding patterns. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. When you started your movement practice 40 years ago, did you fall in love with it right away? Was it something that you eased into or were you just like, you know, well, when I was five, I had a creative movement class that my mother (laughs) (laughs) for the summer Signed me up for, and the teacher was um, actually somebody who'd studied with Moshe Feldenkrais. I didn't know it at the time, but at the very end of this class, as a five-year-old, I'm lying on the the grass in the park looking up at the sky, and I had this feeling 
she did something called floppy time where she would come and, and like flop a limb and then let it drop into the grass. And by the end, I was so relaxed and I felt like I belonged on earth. It was the yeah. first moment I felt like I really belonged here. Destined to be a movement teacher. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I pursued ballet or yoga and they didn't yeah. quite do it. But as soon as I walked into Emily Conrad's workshop in 1978, yeah. it was um, very clear that this was this was the same feeling this was home what kinds of things did like you're i guess i was going to ask you like a before and after but it sounds like there really wasn't a before for you because you were a little kid and you were already you know uh i guess i was just curious like what what did you gain from making this the centerpiece of your practice well, from that five-year-old, you know, not, not having the, the direct line to continuum, I went through ballet, which has a culture that's quite different <laughs> than, than the creative movement class was. And, you know, the outside standard of beauty mm-hmm. really dominated. And then once I got into yoga, even that has an outside standard of, of health and beauty. And I didn't learn to value the voice from inside to the extent that I could until I started doing continuum. And I was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis after the birth of my second child uh, 25 years ago. And it allowed me to rethink a diagnosis. As soon as I started reading all about it, of course, my body started to get stiffer and more more, um, compromised. And when I remembered that I was fluid, and that I could start to innovate new neural pathways through the spinal fluid itself by, by moving like water, I, I really have had no negative um, symptoms from the, from the ankylosing spondylitis. And I have a, probably a very mild case, but still it changed my identity around something being wrong with me, having something wrong with me, to actually just using what... what sensation I was feeling and engaged with as the route towards freedom of movement. Ah, that's really great. You know, I love, you have a poem in your book called Wisteria. It's really, really beautiful. And there's a quote Mm -hmm. that I love, um, quote, may we remember in each moment, the tiny possibility of great things, unquote. I love this so much. Um, what, What right now, we're coming out of this like historic year, we seem to be we seem to be at a crossroads. There's a lot of things going on. Um, I'm very optimistic about lots of things, but I wanted to ask you, uh, what are you optimistic about right now as we make our way through, you know, we're getting to summer of 2021. There's lots going on. And this quote kind of reminds me uh, how powerful it is to keep the the sense of possibility alive. Yes. Um, and so what's what's kind of talking to you right now? What do you see for our tribe uh, of, of humans? And, and what are you excited about? Well, I, that's a great question because I, I feel like, you know, there's been so much loss, but there's also been so much opportunity in having having to care for oneself in a different way. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, I, I, I like to use this phrase, each one nurture one, where in the way that I care for myself, my relationships can be different. So I've had a, a, almost an explosion in the number of people who have been coming to my classes online during this year. And what the hope is, 
the possibility is that each one of those people touches another person from a fluid sense of themselves. And then that ignites the fluid sense of wholeness and belonging in in each person they come in contact with. And it's kind of like a ripple effect. Yeah. The self-care, the fluidity, the creativity, the deep connection to um, purpose and meaning, again, as Mark Nepo's quote says, the meaning with which we live our lives really enhances, you know, how how it feels to be alive right now. And I do feel so many people have had to reevaluate meaning. Mm-hmm. What are we doing here? Yep. And how can we participate in life, either in my own body or and or in my community, my family, all my relations? Is there more participation that can be engaged in? So that's the opportunity I see that people are going to be deeply engaged with each other and listening to each other in a way that's um, new. I, I see. I see also this kind of awakening happening mm. where. Um, we're really learning to live from our hearts and trust one another. I think there's, I think some of the old boundaries and separations are dissolving. I think there it's, it might be more of a counter narrative, but it's coming from within in our tribe. And I'm, I don't know, there's just a lot I'm optimistic about that flies in the face of any news you might see, but I can sense it underneath as a powerful kind of tide that is very pro humanity right now. And, And so I'm very optimistic. I'll just say one thing about that, because I think that the online demand has been, we can't be perfect. We're in the Mm -hmm. unknown. We all have to be vulnerable together. We have to fall on our face and get up again. And here's, I'm with a community of people who's, you know, we're together in trying to figure this out. And that's, that's a beautiful feeling that you're not an expert. You're in a collaborative process with all of humanity right now. I love it. I love it, Beth. Do you have, uh, is there some, you have an online course or any creative projects you'd like our listeners to know about? Yeah. So based on the book, it it was the perfect time. People couldn't go out. So I created a course based on the six-week program, um, how to have a home embodiment practice, the art of personal practice. And we launched the first round in February and it completed at the end of March and I have a second round coming up in the fall. So hopefully people people's self-care will continue and this can be an offering to your body, to um, any any part of your life that needs a little um, deep diving into in terms of how do we emerge into the future. Yeah. So there's a lot of really exciting things. And it's it uses the, the book as the course manual. It includes live Zoom classes. It includes private coaching, re- reading and writing assignments, and um, yeah, small practice groups in between. So you get a lot of support in establishing a home practice. That's great. Where, where do they find that at? On my website, themovingwell.com, themovingwell.com. 
Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Beth, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for embodying all the principles that we've spoke about, uh, fluidity, wisdom, listening to the body, self-care, and you're such a strong, heartfelt voice for humanity. So thank you for carrying that and for all of the teaching and wisdom you've imparted and the participation. Um, your leadership style is just really gracious and, and just thank you for everything you've done and are doing. And it was just a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Tony. Such a joy to be with you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Beth. To find her online classes or her great book, A Moving Inquiry, which was created to help you create your own somatic movement practice, go to Beth's website at www.themovingwell.com. And to find out more about somatic movement, go to the hub of all things somatic movement at www.ismeta.org. That's I-S-M-E-T-A dot org. Ismeta has a directory of practitioners in your area if you're looking for someone and a list of approved trainings in case you're looking to be trained in this exceptional work. That's our show for today. Men, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.